maybe just as you're looking towards finding that seat, let's uh, grab that Bible you're holding. Look over to 1 John. Let's head back there in 1 John as we turn our attention here to chapter 4 as we launch into our teaching there and our exposition of the epistle of 1 John. We find ourselves in 1 John 4, 1 through 6 this morning. So take that Bible, open it, look with me. In fact, let me, as we even begin, let me just read the text for you as we come into a new section today, okay? Follow with me as I read from the ESV. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from God. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever listens or whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What an important, important passage in the life of our church as we exposit through 1 John. As you come into chapter 4, there's two direct links with the previous passage. In fact, let me show you that so you get a sense of where we're going. Look back in just a few verses in chapter 3, verse 23, where John says there, this is his commandment. You'll note it that he says it in the singular, but he's going to say two things, that we believe in the name of the Son, believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So there's a link there because you see that in verse 23, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son. But if you take that Bible and just look at it in 4.1, John is going to say, beloved, do not believe every spirit. So there's an interesting play on words, believe on his son, but do not believe on every, every spirit. And then there's a second link, and it falls in verse 24, moving forward. It says, whoever keeps his commandment abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Here's the phrase. By the Spirit whom he has given us. And so one of the ways, one of the assurances we have is by the Spirit whom he has given us. That is the Holy Spirit. And so he's given us the Spirit, but then again, in 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, we know that there are many who claim today to have received the Spirit. There are people who claim to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. There are people who claim to speak in the Spirit of God. And the question that I raise for you this morning as we begin our worship is, how can you, how can a believer know 
they are following God's spirit and not a lying spirit? That's the question. How do you know if you're really following the Holy Spirit or a lying spirit? Maybe this question for you. How can you discern between truth and error? Between a true teacher of God's word and a false teacher of God's word. John's going to tell us in this text, here in verse 1, to test the spirits, okay? And that flows, really, the overarching thrust of the passage. Test the spirits. In fact, look at verse 1 and zero in with me again. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone, it says, out into the world. Let's just pick up the text. You'll note that he opens chapter 4-1, and I don't want to miss it. He just says, beloved. And, And here is again the aged apostle Paul. We probably said he's somewhere in his 90s, and I don't want to just skip over that. He loves this flock. He loves the people of God. And because he's an apostle and because he's a shepherd of this flock, he recognizes that this flock is in danger of false teachers. In fact, just flat out to you, he says there are other spirits. There are demonic spirits. And so look what John says in 4.1, and uh, we'll just walk through this text. He says, do not believe every spirit. In other words, Grace Church of the Valley, don't be gullible, is the thought. Not everyone who claims to speak for God actually does. There are deceivers out there. There are people trying to deceive people with the Word of God. They are duping people with their own theology, and they are destroying people with their errant theology. So how does that sound in the 21st century? He exhorts you to be discerning. In fact, it's actually a command in the present tense, and I don't think it means some would say that he's exhorting them to stop something that they're doing. No, I just think he's telling us by way of the word of God, do not believe every spirit. Be careful of anyone, avoid anyone who teaches doctrine contrary to the word of God. And so he would tell us, he's not telling this to the leaders, he's telling it to you moms, he's telling it to you dads, he's saying you need to test the spirits. And that little phrase there on test the spirits was used in kind of the testing of precious metals that would determine their purity, that that it would determine as they would test these metals and these gems, their value. In fact, that word test means to prove. It means to examine, kind of like coins were being tested, if you will, for their genuineness. And John here opens with this and he says, test the, the spirits. I think it's very similar if you just write down, you don't have to turn there, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, that Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, on the one hand says, do not despise prophecies. Don't despise them. Don't go, you know, to the other extreme where you're despising a word, and that was in the time when the New Testament was being written, but he told them to not despise prophecies, but it says in the next phrase, but test 
everything and to hold fast that which is good. And so here is this call to test the spirits or to test everything. And again, I want you to know this is not just a call to elders. In fact, he's writing beloved. He's saying to you, and I'm warning you, okay? Do not believe every spirit. You say, well, why? Look at the text again. It says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And here's why. To see whether they are from what? God. Test them to see their true identity. Again, some claim to speak for God, but they are mouthpieces of the devil. And so we're asking the question, is it truth or is it error? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it a demonic spirit? You say, well, why is he so strong here? I'm glad you asked. Look at the text again. Here's why. He said, test the spirits to see whether they are from, from God. And here's the important phrase. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, many false prophets. This is not an isolated incident. Okay, This is a problem of huge proportions. In fact, they are already here. They're in the Central Valley. Big time. And we just need to have some discernment here. Okay, They are carrying out their mission of evil as we speak, if you will. They are in the lecture halls even now. And I would say generally speaking, and I'm not trying to be over the top, the church is drowning in false teaching, okay? Utterly, utterly lacking any discernment. You say, well, Scott, you're kind of fired up. Yeah, I am fired up. You know why? Because I care about this flock. And, and I'll tell you, from what I get out, listen to, watch, observe, I'm like, I don't even think this fits on people's radar anymore. Utterly lacking discernment. Now listen, this is not new to us, is it? Because you can go back to Genesis 3 that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? There he is. From the beginning of opening chapters in your Bible, he's creating doubt in the word of God. Did, the, did God actually say you shall not eat? Uh, of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat from it. Or what? She added something. Or touch it, which God never said, don't touch it. But again, that's what happens when Satan comes in. He begins to not only distract and distort the word of God, but he begins to add to the word of God. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Listen, he's right there in the opening chapter, chapter 3. I mean, right after the creation, now this in three, one, the serpent was more crafty. Than, oh, you're like, time out. Where did the serpent come from? How did the serpent arrive on the scene? We don't know. He's just there in chapter 3. But listen, he was there in the beginning. And he was there, if you will, deceiving. He was there at the beginning, duping people. He was there if he, at the beginning, distorting the word of God. He was there at the beginning, sowing discord, heretical teaching, and he's doing it now. In fact, as you get to the New Testament, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. for such men, he's writing to the Corinthian church, are false prophets. 
Paul called him in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen deceitful workmen. So listen, I, I think as our church is in wet cement phase, we're a new church. Listen, there's deceitful workmen out there. They are, in Paul's words, disguising themselves as apostles of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you think, are these people aware? Oh, they're aware. They're utterly deceitful. They're utterly destroying people. They know what they're doing, and they're coming and infiltrating in the church. In fact, that's the word, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, disguising themselves as an apostle of Christ. You know the next verse, verse 14, and no wonder, because Satan, was it says, masquerades himself as a what? As an angel of light. So here John says, listen, test the spirit. There's many false prophets out there. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of the false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. They come to you looking like a shepherd. But Jesus said inwardly, they are ravenous what? Wolves. Listen, the reason I'm telling you is I care about our church. I care about the children in our church. I care about the future of our church. And what disseminates from the word of God out of the pulpit, we need to be able to be discerning. I mean, Jesus said it there. They're ravenous wolves. I mean, kids, if you're in here, just think of a wolf that's just, that's what these guys are like. And they're entering into the church and they're all over the Christian bookstore. There's a wholesale rows of false teachers in the bookstore. Jesus was so clear at the end of the age in Matthew 24, 11, when he said many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It strikes me there, many false prophets leading many astray. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 13 there at the Olivet Discourse, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and they will perform signs and what? Wonders. That, don't let that surprise you. Well, this man's being used by God. Well, listen, he could be demonically inspired doing signs and wonders. And at the end of the age, these men will come and they will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the what? The elect. And it's not possible. But if it was possible, they'll be so cunning and so deceptive and so powerful that they would lead the elect astray, but which they can't. This is all over the scripture, but the church is asleep. In fact, I don't even think most churches even talk about this. Let's talk about something more practical. And it's what, let's talk about what we're doing outside of worship. Let's talk about all these other things that go on in the week, all the while the church is being led to go asleep. And it's so dangerous. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 that the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, he says there, and teachings of demons. This is doctrines of demons, some of this stuff. And some of the stuff that I've read about in the charismatic movement, far from being spirit-led, as a generalization, is actually out of the pit of hell when you got people barking like dogs and flapping uncontrollable. How do you know that's a work of the Spirit of God? Where's the discernment? I want you to be discerning. Because it says here in, second, in 1 Timothy 4 that they will do spirits, doctrines of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. They're not messing around. Utterly insincere. 
utterly seared in their conscience, taking people and taking their money while we're asleep in the light and the church shows no discernment. Not here, okay? And I'm not trying to be like, okay, we're not. I just say, listen, we're going to teach here. We're going to teach, and this is what Jesus said, test the spirits. Second Peter, Peter said there in 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will, here's what he says, secretly bring in their destructive heresies. Scary. Secretly. Oh, listen, they're far more cunning than you think. And, and what John is saying to us is don't be gullible. It says in 2 Peter 2, 2, that many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. You say, what's the source of this stuff? Satan, Satan. Is this not what Paul said to the church at Miletus in Acts 20 when he said, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the what? The flock. They're just going to come in. In fact, you know what I'm praying? This sounds like a weird comment. I'm praying that God gives us a generation of men who love truth. That's what I'm praying. Sounds like a funny application. I'm just praying that we don't just have a few guys. I'm praying that we have an army of men. And I'm even already playing for the next generation for this place that we'd always be a place that defended the truth because Paul says when he leaves, he says wolves are going to come and not nice people. They'll rip the hearts out of people. Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking, it says there, twisted things. Is there any discernment left in the church? Are we just really happy? We're just really happy to be together. Well, listen, you got to be together on the truth. They're going to speak twisted things. It says this, to draw the disciples uh, after them. Scary. Listen, the greatest danger in the church today is not political. The greatest danger in the church today is not educational. The greatest church today, problem in the church today is not environmental. The greatest danger facing the church is from the inside. And somehow we think it's just okay and we don't test the spirits. And now we're so back on the other side that we're called heresy hunters. <laughs> Looking for something wrong with everybody. I don't want to create that kind of spirit. But we should say test the spirits, do we not? Listen, when I look at you, I look at it and I think of Acts seventeen eleven. You should be like the noble Bereans. You can check what I say to see whether it matches up with the scripture. But what's needed today is not men who are more relevant, not men who know how to do this kind of small group. What's needed today is men who are brokers of the truth and who love the truth and teach the truth and teach their people how to test the spirit. You say, where does this stuff come from? Well, you know where it comes from. Because Paul said in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. But we wrestle against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And here's what Jesus would say. He would say, be on guard. He would tell you to keep on the alert. Matthew 13, Mark 13, Matthew 22. He would say to stay awake. Don't believe, he would say, every spirit. 
Listen, today there are so many cults calling for our attention. There are cults calling for your children's attention. In fact, many today claim to speak and have special revelation to bolster their argument. In fact, you just have to go look at the books today. Anybody who claims to speak for God, I noticed that one of the biggest selling works was that little boy who died and went to heaven. Really? You ever read a book review on that? Or do you just believe everything that comes down the pike? Seems like it's a big thing now when a man or a woman says, I commune with God and he speaks to me. Oh, really? How does he speak with you? How discerning are you? And listen, I want us to be discerning. I don't want us to be critical, but I want us to be so discerning, okay? I mean, there's a great need in our day for discernment. And you might ask, can you discern the difference between true and false teachers? I'm glad you asked that question. My answer is yes, you can. In fact, look down at verse 6, at the summary, at the end of verse 6. He said, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You're going to know it. You say, okay, then let's test the spirit. And what John does here in the text, and there's a number of ways that I could have presented this, okay? But I'm going to present it. He's, I'm going to present two tests to enable you how to recognize those who are from God and those who are not, okay? Here's two tests that are presented in the text because it's not really about us, me, is it? I mean, what does the Word of God say? He's going to give us these two tests that allow us to recognize who's from God and who is not. And John's going to develop his argument along two lines. First, he is going to address the teachers, okay, in verse 2 and 3. Then secondly, he's going to address the hearers. And here is the criteria for knowing truth from error. First, he's going to check the teacher's confession. What do they confess? Then secondly, he's going to check the reader's reception to God's word. And by this, verse 6, you'll know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, in doing so, John sets forth the vital truth of a proper Christology for the assurance of our salvation. So let's walk through these two tests in order to test the spirits. Number one, the teacher's confession. The teacher's confession. Look at the text in verse 2. By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Stop there just for a second. He says, by this you know. And when he says you know, okay, he's, he says it in the plural, in other words, this is not truth intended for leaders. He's not trying to help me in our elder board, per se, although I put us in there. He says it, you know, and it's plural. It's intended for everyone, okay? Now, look what he says there. You know, verse 2, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ, it says there, has come in the flesh is from God. He mentions that phrase, every spirit. In other words, he gives a very comprehensive test, okay? In other words, every spirit's got to fall under this, if you will. And then you'll know what it says. Here's what, 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 what do they have to confess? 
that confesses, okay, stop there just for a second. We've seen that word before, homo legeo. It was back in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins. And remember, we just simply said it meant to agree with God. And so here the point is, is you're agreeing with God about your sin. Here, you're confessing, you're agreeing, if you will, with God about his son. Now, I want you to understand in that word confession, it is not merely an acceptance of his person, but that word confession is an open profession of faith in him, namely, verse 2, that he has come in the flesh. And the reason I say that is the demons knew who he was, but they did not submit to him as Lord. But he says here of the teacher's confession, you must confess Jesus Christ, you see it there, has come in the flesh. So let me just put it this way. I don't think it's hard. A true teacher confesses Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Not just that Christ came to earth, but that he came to the earth in the flesh. That he was 100% God and 100% what? Man. He was fully God. That's the term for Christ. And he was full deity, but at the same time, he is full, full humanity. And so whenever you're looking to say, what does this teacher believe? What does that teacher confess? Verse 2 says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, he's Christ, meaning the anointed one. He's the king. He's the Messiah. So you have to confess that Jesus is the God-man who came as God's chosen king and Messiah and took on flesh as a substitute for sinners. And I just say to you, and I've said it before, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the flesh is not a secondary doctrine. This is a primary doctrine. Look back just for a moment at chapter 2, verse 23. It's primary. Remember, John said there that no one, 2.23, who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the what? The Father also. You have to be able to confess Jesus Christ has come from God. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 15. We'll get to that next week. Whoever, 4.15, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So you must make that confession. But on the other hand, not everybody makes that confession. Look at verse 3, chapter 4.3. He says, there does John in every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from what? God. Now, again, in the argument here, John is refuting Gnosticism. And I think he's refuting Gnosticism of a man by the name of Serinthius. Serinthius was a false teacher who has found himself here around 180, 100 AD, who adhered to what is now referred to as Docetic Christology. He's the one who brought in a Docetic Christology. Docetism comes from the Greek word dokeo. And dokeo just simply means to seem, to seem as such. And what Serinthius said is that the Lord Jesus Christ did not actually become flesh. Serinthius would have said it merely seemed 
as though he did. And what he taught was, do you remember this, is that the Spirit, he said, empowered the human Jesus at his baptism, but it left him prior to the crucifixion. And his teaching, Gnosticism, made the incarnation a lie. And ever since that point, it's gone on in the second century, there was a false teacher by the name of Marcion who said that Christ was a phantom. In other words, he really wasn't in the flesh. Just like the Muslim taxi cab driver told me many years in Chicago that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. I said, hey, there were three guys on the cross. Who was the one in the middle? Well, there was a middle guy, but it wasn't Jesus. Well, who was it? Well, it was somebody other than Jesus. And they deny the person and work of Jesus Christ. But Marcion taught that. He taught that Christ was a phantom. In the next century, there was a false teacher by the name of Arius who, said that to, who was said to adore the name of God, but denied him of his eternal deity. And do you remember in this book earlier, John said that anyone who proclaims that kind of teaching is a liar. In other words, it strikes at the heart of the Christian faith. So today, Christian science considers matter to be evil and thus distorts the person of Christ. Mormonism does not confess this truth. Listen, beloved, if Jesus were not the God-man, at the same time fully God and fully man, he could not be the Savior. He must be a man to die for man, and he must be fully God for his death to atone for our sins. So let me just say this succinctly, Grace Church of the Valley. Valley. Failure to acknowledge and embrace that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is a denial of the Christian faith. And John wants you to test the spirits. In fact, just look to the right at 2 John for a second. It might be one page or two pages, but 2 John, only the one chapter, verse 7. Look again, same writer. For many deceivers, verse 7, have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the what flesh. For such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. If you deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you are a false teacher. You are at that point a pseudo-believer. And John very clearly says to us in verse 3, this is not from what? God. And he says, in addition to that, look at the text again in 4.3. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He said, this is the spirit of what? Of Antichrist. Now, we've talked about that before. We know, you and I know, that there is a future Antichrist. I believe he's alive today. So I'm saying, wake up to you. Wake up. Okay, be part of, if you're visiting today, you need to be part of a local church and you need to be part of a church that cuts truth because I believe he's on the scene today. Now we know that he's going to emerge at some time at the, at the end of the known world and he's going to be called the little horn in Daniel chapter seven. He's going to be called the king in Daniel chapter 11. John, the apostle who wrote this book and writing revelation will chapter 13, call him the beast. Okay. 
And it's not limited, if you will, to one man that's coming. Because again, look at the text. There's a future Antichrist coming. But he said, if you don't confess Jesus is from God, he said, this is the spirit of what? Antichrist. In other words, look at verse 3 again. It says, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. And what's the last phrase? Already. In other words, we might be waiting. That Antichrist, the big figure, might be alive. But right now, right now, right now, right today, the spirit of Antichrist is at work today. You say, well, what's that? The Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist, here's, how's this for a definition, is any person who is against Christ, any person who attacks the deity of Jesus Christ, any person who is hostile to the true nature of Christ and his deity and his humanity is the spirit of Antichrist. It's all over. You say, well, Scott, you're kind of intense. Yeah, I am intense. I don't want you to be asleep on this stuff. Look over in your Bible at 2 Thessalonians just for a moment. Let me bring that picture of the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist together. Let me show you both of them in one passage. I'll look at the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then Thessalonians. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and, and this is where you just see Paul's heart come out more and more. He says, let no one deceive you. And I'm in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, because they thought it had come, the second coming, unless the rebellion comes first. Here's another description. And the man of lawlessness, stop right there. That's the Antichrist. That's another title. He's the king. He's called the king with the little horn. He's the beast here. He's called the man of lawlessness. The day hasn't come until he's revealed. He is the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things and you know, verse six, what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. In other words, he alludes that something's restraining him. There are many different designations of what's the restrainer. You'll have to wait till we exposit through that book, okay? But enough to say that I think it's the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is holding the world back. He's holding the world back from sin and from degradation and evil. And if you think it's evil now, believe me, we have seen nothing. When the Holy Spirit pulls his power, when this man arrives on the scene, it will be a frightening day. But look what, look what, look what he said, though, in 2.7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at what? Work. Only he who nows will restrain it and will do so until he is out of the eight, out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, then the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. But it's that little phrase that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So you've got the Antichrist in the future, but you have the spirit of Antichrist right now. So how do you test the spirits? True teachers 
confess the full humanity, the full deity of Jesus Christ. False teachers who deny his humanity are not from God, and they manifest the spirit of Antichrist. This is how you know truth from error. Let me just say to you that not all spiritual activity is God's activity. You need to be discerning. You say, well, I I should, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. We should. And so from the teacher's confession, secondly, John highlights the listener's reception as the second test to test the spirits, okay? The listener's reception. Go back to 1 John now. It says there in verse 4, little children. I love that phrase. He said, you are from God and have overcome them, for he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He said, you are from God. Now, this is just a tender text here. In other words, be on the alert, but he would say to me, to you, don't be afraid. Little children, and, and, and when it says that phrase, you are from God, the you there is emphatic. In other words, you are victors. <laughs> You are conquerors. The Spirit of God indwells in you. Listen, he's getting to the the listener's reception here, and he's encouraging you that you have your security. You have your assurance. In fact, don't even let the things I said earlier make you afraid. You are, John says, from God. You belong to God is the thought. You are the children of God. You are born of God. In fact, look, follow with me in the text at 4-7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves, I like this phrase, has been born of God and knows God. In other words, he's getting back to your origin. The teachers, the false ones, are demonically inspired spirits that though they're human, they're uttering out of their mouth demonic, destructive heresies. But he said, your origin? He said, you're of God. Look over at chapter 5 in verse 1. There everyone, John says, who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. He's just grounding us in this relationship and our origin. Look at chapter 5 and verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Look down at chapter 5 and verse 18. Again, he says, we know that everyone who has been born of God, does not keep on sinning. Listen, we are partakers of the divine nature. You have been given an incorruptible seed, okay? And so he says, you are from God. But if you look, look at this emphatic. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. These are all what we call emphatic personal pronouns. He says to us in verse 4, little children, you are from God. But in verse 5, they, speaking of the false teachers, are from the world. Verse 6, we 
and the we are the apostles are from God. Now, he says to us, verse 4, that we are from God, and look at 4.4 again. I love that phrase. And have overcome them. In other words, it reveals the victory that is more than just a passing phase. We have overcome. It's decisive and it's continuing. And he would say to you, precious flock, you have overcome. He uses this phrase, them. You have overcome the Gnostic false teachers. You have rejected them. In other words, how do you test the spirit? By the teacher's confession and by the listener's reception here. And watch this. John is not referring here to a physical battle in, in, in the context. He's not talking about you've overcome them physically. He's not even talking about a victory in the area of morality, which he will share at other points in 1 John. Here, what he's addressing is you have overcome in the intellectual battle that the believer is found to be victorious. Say, how so? Well, look at chapter 5 and verse 4. He said, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How so, John? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the what? The Son of God. And so here, it's not your faith, but it's your faith in that person. Listen, don't you want your kids to own that? Don't you want your grandkids to own that? Listen, what we're talking about matters intensely today. What you affirm regarding your Christology and your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ, Jesus, 100% man in Christ, 100% God is so important. But listen, we have nothing to fear. The Spirit of God is our protection from their false doctrine. Listen, the false teachers have not deceived you. You have conquered them. You have overcome them. You have not believed your lies, their lies. And John says, this is your confidence before God. Not in your own strength. Look at the text again in verse 4. For he, you know this one, who is greater, he who is in you is greater than he that is what? In the world. Okay? And you say, well, the, the, the one, look at it again where it says, he that is in you. Who's he talking about? You say, well, yeah, he's talking about us and you. But some people say, is it God the Father? What do you mean in you? Or is it God the the Son? Or is it God the Holy Spirit? I think in this context, it's just best to take it. He that is in you, he's talking about the Spirit of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, the Spirit that indwells in you is greater than the spirit that is in the Antichrist. In other words, death has been defeated. And so this in you, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. He is so far greater, so superior than any spirit of the Antichrist. In fact, John's real peak to tell us about this. Just glance back at 324 again. Remember when he said there, Whoever keeps the commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this you know that he abides in us by the Spirit, capitalized, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom he has, what, given us. Glance down at chapter 4, verse 13. And it says um, there, by this we know 
that we abide in him. And I like this phrase. And he in us because he has given us his what? Spirit, right? He's given us his spirits. John, Jesus said that or John said that in John 14, 17, that it's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But then it says there, did Jesus in John 14, 17, you know him for he dwells in you. And and it says there, he dwells in or he dwells with you and he will be in you. So here's how you test. There's a reception here to the spirit of God. And I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you know, it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is what? Who is in you. In other words, the Spirit's taken up resident in our heart. He lives. He lives within us. You are not the victim of their deception. The Spirit's work renders the believer incapable of apostasy. So listen, I want you to be encouraged. I don't know what will happen in the future, but I'm not afraid. And I'm not afraid because we have the Spirit of God. He indwells within us. He lives with us. The Spirit helps us and enables us to confess in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that Jesus is Lord. So there's a reception that we have, but look at the contrast in verse 5 of chapter 4. And he says this, they though, false teachers, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world, what? It listens to them. It listens to them. In other words, three times the world is mentioned. The world is the devil's domain. He is called in John's gospel, the prince of the, what? The world. And the world as a system, if you will, expresses the devil's philosophy and the devil's opinions. And the world is their allegiance. And so John might even be encouraging us. They left us. They opposed the gospel. And the world listens to them. I just want to encourage you. Don't be surprised if they do not listen to you. The world speaks their language and listens to their message because it matches what they perceive to be the truth. But look what John says to us. Go back now in verse 6. However, look at verse 6. We, I love this phrase, are from God. Read it carefully. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Stop there just for a second. He says, we are from God. Stop there just for a moment. Who's, he, who's speaking there? He doesn't say you. He doesn't say us right here. But he, he's, who's speaking? Who is it? It's John. It's not I, John, verse 6, are from God. He says of him and his apostolic band, he says we are from God. Look what it says again in verse 6. Very important. Whoever knows God listens to what? Us. Listens to the apostles. Okay? Watch this. In contrast to the false teachers, we, the apostles, are from God and teach the truth. That's what he's saying. Does it not go back? Look back to chapter 1 just for a moment. You say, well, who are the apostles? This. 1-1. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in contrast to the false teachers, you get it? Who are demonically inspired. You have the apostles who speak from the very heart of God. I love what John Stott said. Think about it this. Stott said in his commentary, he said, it sounds, the statement sounds like the height of arrogance. And he said, so it would be by an individual Christian. He said, no private believer could presume to say, whoever knows God agrees with me. And only those who are not from God disagree with me. But Stott said, this is precisely what John is saying. For he is writing neither for himself nor for his church, but of Christ as one of the chosen apostles. Listen, you, how, how can you test the spirits? Number one, test the teacher's confession. Number two, test the reader's reception to the word of God. I'm thinking about Jesus when he said this in John 10, 26. You do not believe because you are not from among my sheep. Then he said, and you can finish the sentence, my sheep hear my what? Voice. And I know them and they, what? Follow me, right? They hear my voice. Jesus said this to the Jewish people in John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. He said the reason why you do not hear them is you are not from God. John 8, 47. In other words, the people who are receiving this are you. The people of God. I'm thinking of when Jesus spoke to Pilate in John 18, 37. Jesus said this to Pilate. He said, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus said this to Pilate. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my what? Voice, right? My word. It's like his word is his voice. Listen, how do you check these teachers? Very simple. Check their confession and check the reception that they have to the word of God. Listen, the spirit of God who indwells inside of you. You say, what do you mean he indwells in me? He lives in you. That's why when you're not a believer, you didn't think twice about sinning. But when I became a Christian as an early teenager, all the things I never used to worry about, now I, now I was like guilty. What is that? It's the person of the spirit. You say, well, that's why the Bible talks about don't quench the spirit. You don't quench an it. You don't quench a force. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you don't want to quench him. You don't want him in another passage to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because when you came to Christ, he not only wiped your sins away, he placed you into the body of Christ and he gave you the spirit and the spirit indwells in you and he enables you to discern the voice of God speaking through the prophets. Listen, I want to be very, very clear with you. You say, Scott, you're emphatic. Yeah, I am, I guess. 
because I don't think you're going to hear it sometimes on the outside of what we're doing here, okay? But I want to be very clear. Apostolic doctrine, the apostles, the Word of God, the New Testament, has always been the means by which truth and error can be discerned. That's it. Not experience. It's apostolic doctrine. Those who are of God and those who are of the world are recognized by their response to the apostles' teaching. And John was so bold to say, listen, whoever is of God listens to us, and whoever does not listen to us is not from God. Look at his closing statement. It's powerful. You get it now? By this, in the last phrase, last phrase of verse 6, 4-6, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, right? The spirit of truth and the spirit of error is known by this fact that every spirit is tested by apostolic doctrine. And I would just say to you, that's why I will do nothing else in this pulpit. You may catch an occasional topical message, but when we started, we were committed to expositional teaching, faithfully done by Adam, I'm here now, we're going to faithfully do that because more than anything, we as a leadership team want to get you to the apostolic doctrine. Listen, I'm thinking of John when he wrote in Revelation 22. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the, in the tree of life and in the holy city. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away, but we want to study it. We want to present it to you. I desperately want you to grow. I want you to have strong families. And I just pray, this is my prayer, God, give us more men in this generation who are committed to the apostles' teaching. That's what I pray, right? And who defend the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And would you be praying with us that God would raise up a group of men at GCV to, uh, to defend sound doctrine? And listen, this is why we do men's equippers. Why? We want to build you, okay? We want to pour into you. We want us as a group of men to study sound theology. This is why we're inviting you to the Shepherds' Conference. Those who are of the truth confess the apostolic message of the apostles regarding the person and work of Christ. And those who reject Christ and the apostles' message reveal the spirit of Antichrist. So I say to you, flock, I love you. Test the spirits, okay? Test it by the scripture. Be a noble Berean to see if these things are, are true. And if you're visiting, and I have no idea who's visiting today, we're not the only church, okay? But I'd say pick a church that exalts the word of God and pick a church that exalts sound teaching. Don't pick a church. There's a myriad of other things that I hear about, but I, we want to build you in the faith. We want your, your children to be built in the faith. We want your grandchildren to be built in the faith. And just as we did our banquet, it's in my mind, grace for generations we want to plow strong with the gospel and it begins with a right Christology. Amen?